Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The Taoiseach says he thinks there's evidence of profiteering in the prices that people are paying for everyday goods. Stay tuned for our exclusive wide-ranging interview with Leo Varadkar. I think there is evidence of profiteering. Um, the reason why prices have gone up um, is manifold. You, you know, it's it's the war in Ukraine, it's it's um, the snap back in demand after the pandemic, um, interest rates going up. There's lots of different reasons, but you know the evidence is there. Even the European Central Bank says it. We also get the Taoiseach's reaction to the bleak prospects for older renters and the housing insecurity that they face. Many older people are forced to move prematurely, therefore, into nursing homes, denied their right to live independently by the chronic shortage of homes. Later, we discuss all the other big stories of the week with our nightly news panel. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has said there is evidence of profiteering in the prices that people are paying for everyday goods. He was speaking in an exclusive wide-ranging interview with The Tonight Show. Well, earlier this evening, Kira Doherty sat down with the Taoiseach at Government Buildings. Uh, Taoiseach, thank you for speaking to The Tonight Show uh, this evening. I want to start with Fine Gael and specifically the five Fine Gael TDs that have bowed out of politics uh, or intend not to run mm. at the next election. Do you take responsibility for any of that? Um, no. Um, the reasons they've given are, are valid reasons. Um, in between any election you have a natural turnover of people um, and if you take the last election for example which was a tough election for us we elected five new TDs and two senators um, moved up from the Senate to, to the Dáil and of those seven three are now ministers so this is very much a party in renewal uh, in between any electoral cycle you have people who have given a lot of time a lot of commitment to the country their community their party um, and they move on uh, and it's a really good time for renewal in the party so any ambitious councillor who wants to be a TD, any ambitious senator who wants to be a TD, or even anyone from outside the party who wants to be a TD, it's a really good party to join. Uh, Lucinda Creighton, writing in the Business Post at the weekend, said it actually speaks to a real malaise within Fine Gael. Yeah, I disagree with that. You know, we are in government now for nearly 12 years, so um, I suppose it wouldn't be unfair to say there may be some people um, who, who, are, who, are, who are tired after that period of time. I'm certainly not. Nor, you don't feel nor, jaded at all? Absolutely not, nor do my ministers or my, or my, or my, team, my team around me. And, you know, come the next election, our objective is to uh, increase our vote and increase our number of seats. Uh, I believe we can be in, in the mid-twenties uh, in terms of the vote that we get in the next election. Um, that would bring us up to around 45 seats. And if we can achieve that, um, we'll be in a position to lead the next government if we're, uh, if we're able to find sufficient coalition partners, as is always the case. And I absolutely guarantee you I'm up for the challenge. Uh, so are my team around me. And if there are people stepping down or stepping back, I understand that. That's, that's human nature. Um, we'd plenty of people 
who retired at the last election as well, but there are people behind them, uh, hungry people, men, women, young, old, willing to take those seats and willing to uh, be ministers in the next government if they get the opportunity. I understand there was an internal um, document shared by Michael Creed which showed that four out of five in a Gale TDs would be in a dogfight mm. for their seats at the next election. Was that part of the consideration, do you think? Yeah, I've, I've never seen this document and I'm not even sure it exists. <laughs> so, so you're um, disputing it? <laughs> well, I, I've, uh, it certainly wasn't shared within the party, nor have I ever seen it, but um, paper never refuses ink, so... So don't don't believe everything you read in the papers. Okay. And, that, and objectively, of course, why would it be the case? Uh, you know, with the exception of one rogue poll a couple of weeks ago, um, our party support is at or above where it was in the last general election. So, you know, 20 to 22 percent, we, you know, by any logical analysis, you're gaining seats in that scenario, not losing them. Okay. But we'd, we'd, we will have challenges in some individual constituencies, and that's all about getting the right candidates. Let's move on to the cost of living crisis, in particular, I suppose, prices and bills that people are facing. Richard Kern was writing in The Independent yesterday, and he said, prices go up like a rocket, mm. but they're coming down like a feather. Do you agree with that analogy? Um, I do. Um, you know, we've seen the price of everything rise dramatically over the past year and a half. Um, we haven't had a period of inflation like this for a very long time, probably going back to the 1980s. And as a result of that, um, a lot of families are struggling to make ends meet. Um, wages are rising, but for the first time in a long time, prices are rising faster than wages. So a lot of people are worse off in real terms, and that's very evident from what people say to me. Um, I do expect to see prices moderate. Inflation is slowing down now. We see things like petrol and diesel coming down, for example. Um, but we want to see other costs go down too, particularly electricity and gas, which we should see falling uh, over the next couple of months. Um, groceries is going to be a little bit different, um, and we are starting to see some, some price falls there. But I think Minimum what we may price find, falls, in fairness. Well, Do you think people are being, consumers in Ireland are being ripped off a bit? I think there is evidence of profiteering. Um, the reason why prices have gone up um, is manifold. You, you know, it's, it's the war in Ukraine, it's, it's um, the snapback in demand after the pandemic, um, interest rates going up, there's lots of different reasons. But, you know, the evidence is there, even the European Central Bank says it, that there are some companies that are uh, recording bumper profits. And that is profiteering in my view. So when it comes to energy companies, we're hitting them with windfall taxes and special dividends. We'll use that money to give back to people to help with their electricity bills, small business as well. Uh, and when it comes to the grocery sector, um, we're engaging with them on that now. But we expect to see prices come down. But one thing I think we probably will see, and it is important to be honest with people about this, when you have a period of inflation, what tends to happen is prices level off and maybe fall back a bit, but they never go back to where they were. You know, over time prices rise, and that is why it's important that um, wages go up, that pensions go up, that welfare goes up as well, and that people pay less income tax. And that's what we did in the last budget, and that's what we're working towards in the next budget as well. Okay, speaking of grocery prices, we know Neil Richmond uh, met with retailers this week mm. at their retail forum. Were there any firm commitments? from retailers that prices would come down over the next six weeks? There was a firm commitment from them that uh, if their input costs fall and continue to fall, then prices will come down. And Which we were, assume they are. And they were very clear when it comes to their own brand products that they have more control over that. Because, you know, bear in mind there's a supply chain here. Um, there's producers, there's middlemen, there's distributors, and then there's the end retailers. Um, so what essentially has happened is as their input costs went up, they put up their prices. We said it very clearly to them that as their input costs come down now, as energy prices come down, uh, we need to see uh, prices moderation come down as well. Uh, Simon Coveney has said there's going to be a name and shame policy to make sure retailers aren't profiteering. 
Is that all the government can really do, threaten to embarrass these retailers? No, we have other powers. Um, we have a very strong uh, body called the CC CCPC, the Consumer and Competition Protection Commission. When I was Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment last year, I beefed up their resources, gave them additional powers. So they're able to carry out investigations. Um, if there's evidence of unfair trading, if there's evidence of price fixing or price signaling or any cartel-like behaviour, um, that body has enormous powers uh, to intervene and take action. Um, and we've you know, given a very clear direction uh, to that body that we want this on their radar. I'm not alleging that those things are happening, but what I am saying is that if there's evidence of that, uh, they can take action, they can seize files, they can seize documents, computers, interview people and impose very big fines. So those powers are there. Do they have the power though, or does anybody in the state have the power to compel these retailers to publish the profits that they make in Ireland, in this state? Yeah, I, I think, think that's not the case at the moment. Uh, you know, we are examining that. Um, there are differences. Some companies are publicly owned companies, you know, as in they're owned by shareholders and they produce detailed accounts. Uh, other supermarkets, for example, are unlimited companies privately owned by a family. So the law is different in those different areas, but um, it's definitely something that we're examining. And there is some evidence uh, that some retailers anyway are um, securing bigger margins on their profits in Ireland than they would in other markets. And that's not justified. You know, businesses have to make a profit. If they don't make a profit, they can't expand. But there's no reason why, you know, any company should be making substantially bigger margins here in Ireland than would be the case in the UK or other parts of Europe. And that's something that we're examining. Unless they think they can get away with it, that we're a soft touch when it comes to profits. Yeah, well, we're not. We're not. And, you know, that's particularly where government has to take action um, and make sure that we use the full powers that are available to us, ranging from persuasion to the powers that are there in the Competition Act. Uh, Jed Nash was calling for a windfall tax if there is profiteering going on amongst these retailers. Would you have any objections to that? Um, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Uh, we have to see evidence of those windfall profits before you can impose a windfall tax. Um, we are imposing windfall tax on energy companies and energy generators. Uh, we can see that they're recording profits that are much larger than would have been in previous years than they even expected. So when it comes to the state-owned ones like ESB, we're taking a special dividend off them. Uh, when it comes to the privately owned ones, we're imposing windfall tax. And that will bring in hundreds of millions of extra revenue this year and next, which we can then use to give back to families, give back to businesses to help them with their costs. But for retailers, you could do the same? We can. It's po it is possible. Um, you know, it's the same principle applies. Um, there's no reason why it could not be done. But we want to see. We want to examine the evidence first uh, and see if the evidence is there. Um, and it can be done. We have a bank levy, for example, um, which is on the banking sector uh, for very good reasons too. Okay. I want to move on to housing because we heard this week from Micheline Walsh, the 78-year-old mm. woman who was facing eviction with her husband. You, as Taoiseach, said, look, a solution needs to be found. You feel like it will be found. But she has been looking for a solution for nine months. Mm -hmm. Isn't it a very sad indictment of housing here that it took this 78-year-old woman to come forward, to share her story in the national press before anybody is able to find her a home to live in? Look, it is a very sad case um, and read her article, heard the interview. Um, I think all of us have a lot of sympathy for her and her family in her predicament. Um, the truth is there are many more similar cases. You know, I, I'm a constituency TD. My office would often deal with a lot of housing queries. You know, people who um, are struggling to find somewhere to live or somewhere new to live or struggling to buy. Uh, so uh, while it is significant that she 
shared her story publicly in the way that she did, uh, I would be aware, as would everyone in politics, of lots of similar cases and different cases of people who are suffering as a result of the housing crisis. Uh, unfortunately, that's going to continue to be the case until we have enough housing. And as I've said previously, we have a deficit in Ireland of about a quarter of a million homes. And until we get on top of that, um, unfortunately, uh, we have more people and more families than there is adequate housing available. But we are making a lot of progress, you know, more than 30,000 homes built in the last year, more year than any year in 15. And the thing that really gives me encouragement is to see a big increase now in first-time buyers. You know, 400, 500 first-time buyers a week now. Haven't seen that since the Celtic Tiger period. That's really encouraging because I believe in home ownership and, you know, that's the best form of housing security is to own your own home. Um, and we're making some real progress there. But Owen O'Brien was writing in the Irish Times today, and I was speaking to him during the week, and he said since Dar O'Brien became the Minister for Housing, there's been a 43% increase in the number of over 65s becoming homeless in this country. A 43% increase. Is that not unconscionable? Well, I, I think it's terrible, um, and it shouldn't be the case. Um, there are different ways in which you can present statistics. Um, what Owen says is true. What I could also say, and it would also be true, is less than 3% of people who are in emergency accommodation are, are older people. You know, it's another way, another way of looking at it. The vast majority, unfortunately, uh, tend to be single people and tend to be single men. Uh, and that's why it's so important that we um, don't allow people to get away with objecting to one-bedroom homes and one-bedroom apartments. And um, I'm not going to name any politician, but there are certain people who talk a lot about the housing crisis in the Dáil, um, but they're the first to object to housing in their constituencies, particularly if it involves one-bedroom apartments, even though, though they know that that's actually the area where the housing crisis is at, is at its worst, single people looking for um, uh, um, homes to live in and ones that they can afford. Um, given the fact that there's four times more people in their 50s than their 60s re renting, would that suggest, you think, that when it comes to older people becoming homeless, that mm. that actually is a ticking time bomb in this country? I think it's a significant risk that we um, need to plan for and are planning for. Um, you, can do, you can help in two ways. Um, one, we can make sure that the housing assistance payment is structured properly so that uh, you know, people who do retire, their income falls dramatically, that they get the housing assistance payment they need so they can keep paying their rent. Um, and that is being done, but we need to make sure it's done sufficiently. We need to ramp up the amount of social housing that we're building, uh, and we are doing that. More social housing built last year than any year since 1975. Um, and also then uh, there's pushing home ownership. And again, you, you know, really encouraged to see the progress we're making with Help to Buy, with First Home, with all the different schemes government's put in place to make sure that people in their 20s, 30s and 40s can buy their own home and that it never, the situation never arises for them in retirement uh, that, they, that they're unable to afford the rent. Um, one of the suggestions made by Alone today is that more social housing should be ring-fenced for that age cohort. Yeah, look, you have to, you have to think about those things. Um, I definitely think we need more social housing that's um, appropriate for older people. You know, there are a lot of older people who are in social housing and would like to trade down. Um, thus freeing up that house for a family, for example, and there isn't enough um, social housing that is targeted for people who can trade down and people who are older people. But you also have to be careful about ring fencing because if you ring fence something for one group, then it's not available for another group. And as I mentioned, um, the highest levels of homelessness in Ireland are among um, two groups, essentially, you know, single men, but also, but also, also lone parent families. Mm. And if you ring fence, I suppose fence, those older people are more vulnerable, aren't they? They are, they are, and, and I think particularly local authorities need to have that regard when have that in regard. But children are vulnerable too, and you know one of the worst aspects of homelessness is is seeing children spending months and months mm -hmm. in emergency accommodation. So I think it has to be solutions for everyone rather than 
segmenting people into different groups, but it does speak to the fundamental underlying issue that we have with housing. Um, when there isn't enough housing, there's always going to be groups of struggle. And any time that you try to help renters, you might disadvantage homeowners. Any time you try to help homeowners, you might disadvantage renters. And what we really have to make sure is that we have sufficient housing supply so that these issues uh, resolve over time. Okay, moving on to your own uh, housing situation, I understand the protesters were back outside your house over the bank holiday weekend. Are you going to do anything to stop people protesting outside politicians' homes? Well, to be honest, it was, it was a small number of people for a small period of time, and um, I'm at home so rarely. <laughs> I think I've only actually been present uh, for one of these one of these protests. Um, but we saw Paul Murphy, yeah. I suppose, at home with his partner and baby. Yeah. And there were protesters outside his home too. No, look, I, I think it's wrong to be protesting outside people's private homes. Um, doesn't bother me particularly personally, but a bit unfair on my neighbours who, you know, didn't sign up to have a politician living next door to them, a bit unfair on them. Would you um, legislate to stop it? I'd be very reluctant to, uh, because, you know, it, it would al already be the case that if you're protesting, for example, in somebody's garden, that you're protesting. These are protests on a public street. And if you start making it illegal for people to protest on a public street, I would be worried that would be a slippery slope towards um, you know, you know, towards restricting the right to protest. So it's something we have to get right. Um, now we are going to do it around the whole issue of safe zones around hospitals. Um, but I just think any any government that starts to crack down on, on people's right to protest in, in a public place in a public area, I, I'm just a little bit, despite despite the fact that I'm the tar one of the targets of it, I'm just a little bit nervous about going down that going down that road. We had an issue on the program last night, a drag show in Carlo that was cancelled by its organisers mm. uh, this week because they were concerned about those who were taking part or those attending, given some of the abuse that they had received online and to their homes. Does that concern you? It does. Um, you know. I think the discourse in Ireland, um, the way we talk to each other and talk about each other, it has deteriorated. Um, some of that I think is related to the pandemic and the stress that people are under during that period and some of it is of course amplified on social media and you know it's, it's, it's a real shame but I think we have to stand up to it and I was disappointed to hear that that event was cancelled. I understand why they cancelled it um, but you know I think you have to stand up to these people and not, not, not give in to them. Um, the Gardaí have announced that they are going to assess these allegations mm. that Niall Collins breached the Local Government Act when he failed to accuse himself in that meeting back in 2007. What's your reaction to the Gardaí's involvement? Um, well, a complaint has been made and uh, they're doing their job by investigating it. So they're doing the right thing, in my view, investigating a complaint that has been made. Um, I believe that Minister Collins should be afforded due process. Uh, it's up to the Guardian now to look at the allegation that has been made and say about to do so. Um, I believe that there'll be no findings against him, uh, but I think he's entitled to the presumption of in innocence until that, until that is done. All right. Taoiseach Eirvadkar, thank yeah. you for speaking to us today. Thank you. The Taoiseach speaking to Kira Doherty. Now, coming up next, reaction to that big interview and more from our nightly news panel. Do stay with us for that. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast.
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back. I'm joined now on my panel uh, tonight by WLOR broadcaster Damien Tiernan, Ocean FM broadcaster Claire Ronan and former government minister and author Shane Ross. Now, let's start with some reaction to that interview with the Taoiseach. Um, what do you th think of the way, um, Shane, that he came out around the big story, which is what we are paying for our supermarket uh, shop? It's been very mm. much in the spotlight this week. We've had the, the, the retail forum coming together to knock heads and maybe try and pull prices down. Um, and then we had the Taoiseach tonight saying there is evidence of profiteering. Do you think he's there's a new stronger line from government around all of this? No, I don't. I think that there's stronger talk about it, certainly, and I think there's stronger rhetoric about it. Um, and I think generally that interview was, it was very strong on uh, analysis. It was a kind of, you know, the diagnosis was good, but when we came to the... The cure, the patient died. It always is, is dying. And what, what I mean by that is uh, he came out and he said, yes, that there's evidence of profiteering. Yes, he gave all the good reasons why prices had gone up. Uh, in other words, he talked about interest rates, the war in U Ukraine and areas like that. But when, when it came to, are you going to do windfall taxes? He said, maybe. When it came to other suggestions of what he might do, he was not specific about it at all. And what's happened here is, it's, I should know, it's an old political trick. Uh, what happened is they called a very high-profile meeting yesterday uh, to consider retail prices. But they knew the figures were coming out today, the prices were coming down, so they got ahead of that. And they also knew that the, the actual food figures, which are falling today, you know, Aldi and Lidl and others mm -hmm. have cut their own price of bread, will come in the next figures, and it's just beginning to turn. So what they're doing is giving the impression of action, doing very little and giving very good diagnosis. And the idea that there might be immediate action, like in the 24 hours following a, meet a meeting of, Correct. of, of I mean, the retail forum. Yeah. So, I mean, in your eyes, all of this sort of... It's a lot of hot thing. air. <clears throat> a lot of hot air. Like the practice, just looking there, the practice of profiteering is actually the making or seeking of excessive or unfair profit. Like, it's a strong claim for him to say, for Leo to say that there is profiteering. Like, he'd have to back this up now. Tomorrow, he'll have yeah. to give evidence. They'll have to come out. And if not... Yeah. He'll be saying, well, where are you getting these figures from? Because the CCPC, as far as we know, there's no evidence of price fixing whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And if that had actually been proven before now, we'd know about it. Like the government has no intention of introducing grocery or any other price caps that would go against, I suppose, the fundamental basis of mm -hmm. the, the market. And also yeah. they'd have problems with the EU as well. So... So, so the government they're, they're, essentially they're the right thing, lets the market dictate, always has let the market dictate, and we're not in, uh, going to see any diversion I know they, from that. They will try and tinker around with it in certain cases, but in this particular case, when it comes to price caps, this government has been against mm -hmm. price caps. There has been obviously issues relating to alcohol and how they've tinkered with the market on that, but in terms of this, I can't see them do anything in the short term. Um, and, you know, on it, um, we also heard... Um, um, Leo Varadkar saying tonight that he wouldn't rule out a windfall tax 
either, but he'd have to examine evidence around that and how it would work. Of course, to introduce a windfall tax, you have to know a little bit more about the profits um, that these big multiples are making. So that was an answer and a non-answer. So he might when there's more investigation done. But at the end of the day, Claire, you know, um, people watching that interview are the people at home who are paying, you know, a euro or a euro 50 for each, pro for each product that they put into their shopping trolley more than they did this time last year. And when they talk about price fixing, like I spent all week this week going around supermarkets, talking to people, checking the prices of things, the staples, it's very interesting. So if you take bread, an apple, a banana, an orange, a packet of Liga, whatever, they're the same price in every supermarket. You know, the staple goods are generally the same price. So you go in, you might have your, a voucher from one, a loyalty card with another, the other might be the discount retailers. Mm -hmm. um, but if you price around the shopping, they get you on other things. A special offer of two boxes of washing powder that you throw into the trolley. But they don't deny there's price monitoring going on of in, order to see, in order to see who, who, who's charging what. And I think but one of the issues that some were taking with were all the prices are sort of coming down now at the mm. same time on, on items that are chosen items around milk, around bread. Um, and their own brands and areas oh, like and that. And their own brands. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this coordinated effort when we are paying so much when it comes to, you know, the, the, the price at the checkout at the end of the shop does infuriate people, doesn't it, Shane? I think it does I mean, infuriate. And it does when we're in a cost of living crisis and we're seeing core inflation dropping back, yeah. but, we all, but we have this inflation running far higher when it comes to food prices. Yeah, and the Tornister yesterday said quite specifically that they were not going to legislate for groceries. Now, the, the, the Taoiseach is on television this evening. He's not ruling anything out at all, as far as I can see. So there doesn't even seem to be a united voice on, on this. But what they are going to do is they're going to ride the back of the fall themselves. They're going to, prices are going to fall very gradually now. We know that. And they're going to come in and say, look, we called in these retail people. This is the implication. Look what happened. This was called, by the way, six weeks early. This, this meeting was called in there because they knew the timing of these falls in the next few days. So it's, it's pretty politically dishonest what's going on here. But he also said, Claire, that they, in a situation like this, the prices level off but they never go back to the original price the goods were. And that's an excuse. Um, and that is actually what generally happens when you see prices going up. They, they rarely, they rarely, they rarly come, go back they down. They rarely come back down and they rarely come back down um, as quickly as they shot up in the first place. And so can I just say one thing, Claire? Will it put Sorry. more pressure on supermarkets? Because we got all this, you know, this talk yesterday as well from 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 uh, Neil Richmond in this regard, um, saying, "Look, I want to see you back here on June 21st. Mm. We really want you to make concerted efforts to bring the prices down um, by that point." Mm. Um, and do you think do you think they're just naturally going to come down at that point in any case, Damien, um, without any? Uh, pressure or a feeling of responsibility on their part to do there will, so. There will be, and there will be lost leaders as well, and there'll be some prices coming down. Like, I was just looking at the profits there, like Aldi files Irish accounts, operating profits, 40 million on a turnover of 2 billion, operating margin of 1.99%. Lendit, 5.1%. Tesco's European and Irish operations, lended profit of 4.3%. So some companies are making more profits than others. That doesn't mean they're profiteering. So there will obviously be competition within the market. And some people will say, well, if Tesco's bring down the price of milk or their own brand, whatever, 
Aldi follows. That's mm. evidence of price fixing. It's not. That's evidence that the market is actually saying it's very, very competitive. Okay, so you'd question actually the Taoiseach saying about evidence of profiteering. I'd like to see in it. That interview I'd like tonight. to see it. Like yeah. he's, 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 he's made a very big statement tonight. That's a very big statement. He needs to back it up now. Mm. I right. think that's right. And I think it's very important that we should point out there was, you, you mentioned naming and shaming by Simon Coveney. These guys aren't going to be named and shamed. That's, that's, not going to, that's not going to happen. You can name them and they say, okay, fine, they'll come out with every excuse in the book. But that's not going to work. That's, again, it's the appearance of doing something when you're actually doing nothing at all. Okay, let's talk about um, housing and particularly housing for older people that really very strongly came into the, the, the spotlight this week. Um, and a report out from um, Alone and Threshold showing that more than 40% of older renters expect to stay in rental accommodation for the rest of their lives. Um, and interesting on this one is, is really if they can afford to do so, Claire, because of the rising rents and um, the lack of, of housing out there to suit the needs of older people. And what the country's doing about it, what the state is doing about it to help its older generation. You know, the figures are dismal and pressing and it, it, it's a situation that actually looks like it's only going to get worse. But anyone who's cared for or loved very much an older relative, all they want to do is stay in their own homes and they deserve that. Um, I did hear one interview today of somebody speaking about how um, it, some of their relatives ended up going in early to a nursing home um, and it's very expensive to go into a nursing home as well. The thought that older people who are vulnerable, who are not in a position where they're going to make a lot of money, you know, they're not going to be ever in a position at that stage of their life to buy a house, could feel stressed and concerned. And as that interview you had showed the whole country. Um, and that lady was very brave, Micheline, yeah. to come out. And I think we can, um, we're going to take a little clip now from that interview um, that, that um, I was speaking to Micheline Walsh. She was speaking about her situation. She's 78 years of age. She has a husband who had a stroke eight years ago and she cares for him full time. And now they're facing the prospect of becoming homeless in a matter of weeks. And here's what she had to say about her fears around that. I can't, I, I, th I find it hard to imagine what that day will be like. I, I really do. I think about it and I think, you know, uh, OK, so you close the door, everything is gone from the place or maybe you've got storage. Walking out and then with whatever we have, because what would fit into the car? If we have to go to a hostel, do I bring pillows? I'll bring just a bag of change of clothes and maybe leave some clothes with, with my daughter so that we... But, but where do I wash my clothes? Where do I find where, where do I cook a meal? Um, that was Micheline Walsh speaking to me um, on Monday evening and what struck me about that um, Shane was during the course of that interview she spoke about how the eviction notice for her came through in June of last year mm. and at that point she was contacting agencies she was saying about you know how her pension will only get her so far but you know, she will need to go on half and all of these things. Then she was looking around to see what was available and nothing was available. No one during the course of the nine months discussed a tenant in situ scheme or any other schemes that the government have said will allow people like Micheline to stay in their home. Um, and suddenly when this story went national and somebody spoke in a national uh, forum about it on radio and, and with us on television and in an article in the Irish Times, then you know, politicians are saying there's a tenant in situ scheme, we can help people, we can do this, this can be done and this should be done in this instance. Well, she's, she's really caught the imagination of, 
of the nation and the sympathy of the nation and a realization of the nation that older people are suffering as much as younger people in this. And sometimes even more, Ivana Bashi got up in the Doyle today and said, look, there are older people being evicted now. I don't think people really realize this. And when the Taoiseach said in that, in that uh, interview just now, he, you know, he's talking like a spectator. He was talking a bit like an observer during this. He said, yes, there are lots more of these cases, I'm afraid. But again, what is going to be done about it now? Well, what he was, was saying the situation can't be resolved until we build more houses, and that's what we're doing. Correct. Uh, the question is, is the housing right? Are they building the right kind of bespoke housing that's now needed, um, yeah. needed, Damien, do you think, for an older generation? And what's actually required? 11,750 people homeless in this country. Surplus is going to be this year 10 billion, next year 16 billion. I've all the statements from 2011 when Fine Gael have been in power mm -hmm. since, and obviously Shane was part of that as well, 2013. Fine Gael's spokesperson said they would eradicate homelessness in Ireland by 2016. They actually said this. Following year, 4,600. Mr. Coveney made different statements. Leo went on the Late Late Show, December 2018, said homelessness is one of the issues that kept him awake at night. The government surplus that year was 400 million. This is the big issue that is tarnishing this government. They may be doing loads of great stuff, but people have, Irish people have a big thing about homelessness because we could be there. That could be our mammy, our daddy, our relation. And the point you're making, what does it say when a country awash with money, when we hear about the budget surplus Absolutely. we have and, and wealth funds we need to set up and all of these things, what's it say when we can't I, adequately care for and our he did older say, citizens? Sorry for interrupting. He did say, he told Tommy Bow in this studio, it's a complex issue and it's not just about building homes. So he knows what the issues are. So he can't make an excuse to say mm. that I don't know what the issues are about. Like they did it in Finland. There's all different issues about that. But I think this is the one major thing that this government, if they don't get a handle on this, like we're looking at 65 billion surplus altogether over the next few years, and they can't sort out the homelessness crisis. And he didn't give one solution. There was no suggestion that something is going to happen. There was no, yeah, we will we look at social housing and it should be ring-fenced for older people. It would have been fantastic to hear, we've decided that we are going to do well, there, and whatever there, it is. Claire, did you hear what they said? On social housing yeah. lists, yeah. Um, there, there, there is, you know, housing for older people. Now, I think in Micheline's case, she said she was 191 mm. um, on that particular list in Dunleary, Rathdown, and she didn't think that she would get a home under that scheme mm. in her lifetime. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 what alone and threshold are saying is, provide more housing of course. for older people. However, the Taoiseach tonight saying, if you start ring fencing for all sorts of groups, you know, you're, you're going to leave, you're going to leave people out. That doesn't mask the fact that there are, no, there are no plans. I think one of the ministers yesterday or today even was asked in the Doyle what they were going to do about older people. It was today, I think. And he said, we're going to move heaven and earth for them. That Michael McGrath saying that today. Nothing whatsoever. They've been saying that for years. Like, 11, like 2011, like, the government does care about certain things. And I think the Taoiseach wants to get things done. And he's a person that has got things done in the past. Well, election hopes and all of that sort but of the, thing. The thing is, like, how now, much a priority... you very cold about it. In other words, if you cared enough about this, about these 11 and a half, 11,750 people tonight, children in hotels, more than three, three and a half thousand children, 
it's not right. Mm -hmm. There's a moral imperative that they get this right. And no matter how much money they create and how many jobs and how many other houses they build, I think this is one of the issues that is going to tarnish their reputation. And will always be set against that because it's interesting around the budget surplus that we heard this week. And, you know, eye-watering figures really, but when it's set against, Claire, the rising cost of living and a housing crisis, there's not much cheering going on. There's not. And even if you listen to the interviews uh, with regards to the budget surplus, I was more interested in what the listeners texted in with their ideas than I was in anything that a politician And the ideas said. were? The how, ideas how, were how do they think invest, we in, invest in infrastructure. What about putting um, some sort of uh, rail system between Dublin city centre and the airport, improving the roads, invest in maybe more offshore wind farming, invest in our hospitals invest in the health system, cut down on the, on the housing list, help people mm. who are See, the struggling. The government would probably say, well, we're, we're doing all that. We have these offshore wind companies and all mm. these announcements and everything today. It's a speed issue, though, isn't it here? It's, it's catching up, yep. isn't mm. it, Shane? Yeah, I mean, the, be fair to them on the, on, the, on the 65 billion, which they're getting. This is windfall money. This is, this is, this is money coming from multinationals, which they are saying... Don't count on it every year. This is not for day-to-day -day spending because it might be all gone one year. But and there's and they're saying, but but Claire's right. It's all very theoretical. Even even now, they know they're going to have 65 billion. Mm -hmm. They know as far as they that the the growth rate will be good in the next few years. And yet they're talking in terms of concepts. They're talking in terms of infrastructure, okay. a rainy day fund, and another fund maybe. Okay. But they're not talking detail at all. They're not giving any comfort to anybody in the sort of situation we're talking about Lots tonight. more coming up after this break, including uh, the GAA Go Row and our Eurovision woes. Do stay with us. Welcome back, WLOR broadcaster Damien Tiernan, Ocean FM broadcaster Claire Ronan and former government minister and author Shane Ross are still here with me. Um, we're going to move on to another big story this week and that's the controversy about the, the GAA uh, Go app, the new way, or it's not, it's not entirely new, is it, Damien? Uh, it's been around since you were in RTE. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Um, it actually started off as a, um, a porta cabin out the back of RTE. I think it might still be there and it was to serve the diaspora mm. and like very good yeah, intentions. Right. But like the fact that it's now like there's a pensioner in maybe Dungarvan in a nursing home who can't get to watch the match, can't get to go to see Waterford Clare. What he, he's paid his taxes all his life. Like, thank God for local radio, blatant plug, obviously. But like, it's not right. Those people feel it's not right. It's so the, not right that they have to pay. They believe these matches should be free to air or is it an accessibility issue that you know, the app, the, the Apache broadband and everything else, it, that it's actually, it's difficult to access for may, some people. It may change over the coming years. This is a new concept for a lot of GAA viewers, okay? So it is, it may change in five years' time. Obviously, during COVID, it was experimented and a lot of people thought it was good and people in Sligo watching the match against London or whatever the case may be. There is a perception out there that there's an injustice there at the minute and that there's something wrong with this and mm -hmm. the way it's been set up. So people gave out about having to go and watch the, the Sky, the mm -hmm. matches on Sky. But when Sky pulled out of the deal, the GAA and RTE, two very old, proud, traditional bureaucratic organisations, they've had to basically adapt very quickly to the ghettoization of 
pay-per-view and sports. Mm -hmm. And that accelerated dramatically from the 1990s when Sky Sports came in and with the Premier League. So they're trying to make money out of it. Like the GA made, it was 96 million came into their coffers last year. One million for GA Go this year. And again, the connections between GA Go and RTE that's very interesting and there'll have to be a lot of questions asked in the committees about this. Yeah, um, and in fact it was the subject of Naroctus uh, committee this week. Um, and it's the conflict um, that, that's also, I suppose, brought controversy around it of the GAA and, and RTE running the show here. Yeah, they, they will have to ask, they'll have to answer questions. There will be questions asked and they will have to answer it. Mm. And uh, I think that a lot of people will be very interested but I think that there was talk this week that, you know, the app was very difficult to, for older people to operate and that it was 12 euro a match and it was too expensive. Like we found that, you know, our listeners were like, we've never been able to see so many matches. When I was growing up, it was only the finals that were on TV yeah. and that they have one, one man I spoke to has a, a sheet in a plastic uh, pocket and he's written down one press this two press that and on a Sunday afternoon he can sit at home and watch these matches and he's delighted with himself you know so they they are bringing the matches out into the whole country the other argument is should anyone have to pay at all yeah uh Shane um on this as a, a former sports minister mm. what what do you make um of all of this I suppose what Damien said the initial thing for GA go was for if you were abroad that you got to tune in and, and watch your your local uh, yeah. home county play yeah. um, but it, it has changed and it's making huge revenue isn't it? Yeah I think it was 700,000 for GAA and, and RTE. I think it was 700,000 year before last made a million it made a million it's made a lot of money and it was set up as a very small company to, 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 to broadcast these games abroad which is a really good idea. Um, there are a lot of questions that have to be asked and it's coming before the sports committee and I mean, Virgin Media is interested in this as well. As you know, they've issued some very, very robust statements about how, how the deal was done and say they were not consulted at all in the deal. Mm -hmm. and it does seem that it's a fair question that GAA Go is a, a company which is jointly owned by the GAA and RTE. And when, they, when the bidding was being done for this, and we don't know how it was done, I'm not saying there was anything improper, but I'm saying it should be asked about, uh, it happens the GAA awarded it to a company which it's a half owner. Uh, and which RT is the other half owner. Now that's, that begs questions. Were they conflicted in some way when they were ordering it to themselves and why did they, did they offer, offer it to And them? the argument as well from people is that we're paying a licence fee, you know, for right. in order to watch, you know, RT coverage, including matches, and then separately paying a subscription fee to watch yeah. the other matches that RT has decided or that the decision has made um, not to air because of scheduling or, 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 or other matters. That's right. And I mean... The, let, to, to be fair, the GAA, when, when, when uh, Virgin issued the statement and said, you know, that they hadn't, uh, they hadn't asked them, they said, look, we did. We did ask you to bid and you, yeah. and you didn't bid. So there's a real conflict there which has to be resolved. And when the conflict like that comes before an Eructus committee, it's become a big public issue. Politicians will get involved in that because of their local issue and they'd like, quite rightly, like to see their local teams on television and, mm. and don't understand how the choice is made, who, who to watch and when. Like, for example, it's very expensive to film matches. We know about outside broadcast units. There's not enough professional broadcast camera people in Ireland. And then the signals that are coming back via live views mm. and everything, they're going through RTE. Then they're actually being sent over to Manchester. So the stream for the RTE Go is actually coming from a company in Manchester. 
So uh, we don't know what the deal is there with that. But there's a lot of issues that need to be sorted out. And it's not an RTE bashing exercise, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be, or a GA bashing. There are two organizations that are trying to grapple with this and trying to make money out of a product. But the difference with the GA and Sky, um, Sky football is a, a professional sport. That's the big issue. So people have this idea, I'm a club person, I go, I'm a member of yeah. Baltimore. And if there's GA money club. being made, why isn't it being thrown you know, back into resources? People that yeah. are putting the flags yeah. out and stuff like that, they're wondering all about that. So there's many issues. OK, let's, um, let's go abroad now and we're going to talk about Donald Trump. He made a rare live appearance on, on CNN, um, repeating false claims about the 2020 election, back to his old form. Well, actually, he never left his old form, but, um, you, you know, hurling insults and, and, and mocking... Uh, a former columnist that he was found liable of sexually abusing and defaming, Claire. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was convicted, well, he, he was sued essentially because it's a civil court case. But how damaging do you believe this is for Donald Trump? Um, it's just one of a litany of cases being pursued um, against him. First of all, he had that arrangement made for the last two years to appear last night and he it appears that he sees it as a form of weakness not to turn up. So he was determined last night to be there in full flight, mm -hmm. as he was, with a very receptive and supportive audience. He himself has said, if I stood out on a street and shot somebody, I'd still be elected or much, uh, you know, approved. Just when you think his language couldn't get even more disgusting, mm -hmm. he goes the extra mile. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, I hope that he has lost some votes among some women, um, you know, because... Although we knew about, I suppose, his form in the run-up even to the original election when all these sort of leaked tapes, you know, secret recordings and all the rest of it came out, the comments he was making. Um, so, yeah, you'd wonder, does that deter the vote? Does it? I don't know. Uh, it's disgusting, isn't it's, it? It's, but it's he disgusting. called her a whack job. I mean, his language is just... His use of the English language is beyond appalling. It's disgusting. Um, mm. Yeah, Shane, on this, um, you know, your, your thoughts on it and whether, yeah. you know, we are likely to see, potentially, Biden has said he's rerunning, but Trump back in the White House in a matter of years. Well, it's, 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 it's quite staggering that we should be even talking about it. I mean, that this man is still surviving in politics is, 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 is something extraordinary about the American system. And the fact that he's second favourite to be the next president of the United States after all this, Paddy Powers are offering him a second favourite today to do it. And that's, that's what the backing is. And that the Americans, so many American people back him. I mean, he's going to go through a series of primaries and he's going to win them. And we really and have no, I think, I think the point to note is we really have no idea here when we are having this conversation mm. about, you know, the views and, and the support, um, you know, that Donald Trump gets over there because it is, it's huge, it's colossal. And, and, I, and yeah. I don't believe um, that it's gone away. Briefly, um, just on the airspace deal, because um, th this is mm. one that sort of hit the news uh, today that Ireland... Um, maintains a secret arrangement dating back to the Cold War era, allowing the UK to police the country's airspace. Yeah. Uh, you were you were you were in on that, Shane, were you? A cabinet briefing. I was in the you know cabinet. About it. <laughs> yeah, this is no classified. to you. This is classified, and I'm not allowed to talk about it. Now, let's <laughs> let's go. Uh, the, no, it's um, it, it was a deal that was done. Uh, it was it was it came to the cabinet every year, and it was a deal that was done which allowed the British to uh, pursue aircraft in Irish airspace, which was allowed by Irish governments, uh, which was renewed every year. Uh, and the thing that strikes me is so odd. Uh, and I think uh, 
and others at, at the time, and I raised it at Cabinet with Finian McGrath, is why it's a secret at all. Yeah. Why is it such a big secret? Um, yeah. It's a natural thing that the British should use yeah. their yeah. airplanes yeah. like that. Brilliant. It does raise the, the issue okay. of neutrality, which is very serious, of course. Yeah. It, that's a serious issue. But it, to make it a secret, forget it. It's not a secret. We are out of time and we did not get to talk about the Eurovision. Um, <laughs> hard luck, lads, and hard luck for Ireland. Another year. What's another year? Um, oh. But that is it from us. Um, our programme is available as a podcast. My thanks uh, to everyone who's joined us on the programme tonight. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and on TikTok tonight, BMTV. But from everyone here, good night. Do take care. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.